0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul speaks this strong word to the Corinthian believers of the day, and he says, Brethren, I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to non-spiritual men, men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates, as to mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you were not yet strong enough. You are not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready for it either. For you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh, and you are still under the control of ordinary impulses. What a strong word to describe the two dynamics of life for the Corinthian believers. On the one hand, there's the spiritual dynamic. On the other hand, there's the carnal, the fleshly, the natural dynamic. And here's the question for today. Now that you are in Christ and you're living with the Lord Jesus, and you live now by the indwelling Spirit, What kind of Christian life are you living? Are you living predominantly in and by the supply of the Spirit? Or are you predominantly living in and by the supply of your flesh? The most important day in a person's life is when he swaps over from darkness to light. From satanic living, fallenness, waywardness, to redemption and life and salvation. That day that you became a child of Almighty God, that is the the greatest day in universal history. Amen. And you should still to this day look back to that day and you need to celebrate it and often give God thanks. And maybe you don't have a day, but maybe over a season you came to know God, whatever it be. But there should be a line in the sand in your life. Is everybody with me? That's that's the greatest day. But can I tell you, the second greatest day in your life is when you swap over from predominantly fleshly living to predominantly spiritual living. And That's what we're talking about today. Just as much as you swapped over from fallenness to salvation, that was an enormous swap an enormous line in the sand which you crossed over, there's another line in the sand that can now be drawn for you in Christ. Now that you are in the way of the Lord, will you be on the track of the flesh, the self, the I, the me, carnality, the natural, the physical, the worldly? Or will you be on the track of a spiritual man, a spiritual mind, spiritual fruit, Holy Spirit indwelling, humility, surrender. And we're still in route to God, but there is now two ways that you can live in Christ. You can live by the self-life or you can live by the God life. See, now that you're in Christ, you can still live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is really taking care of self, or you can go and ongoingly live in the tree of life, which is God himself in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, inside of you, one with you, joined with you, walking together. There are numerous passages in the New Testament that draws a distinction between the carnal, fleshly, natural man and the spiritual man. And one of the more vivid passages is in Matthew 16, where in essence Jesus wants to know from his followers, who do people take me to be? What's the word on the street? And you'll see that the disciples answer the Lord according to the natural interpretation of men according to man's natural understanding, man's natural observation. And they will say to him, maybe you're John the baptizer or maybe you're Elijah, maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, they interpret the Lord to be just someone according to their tradition, uh, their frame of reference. Um, They're interpreting Jesus from their common understanding. That is the natural man. But then Peter will have a revelation that comes directly from God. And here's the point of the story, is that to connect with Jesus' essence, His divine nature, who He really is, has to be an issue of spirituality, where the revelation, the insight, comes from the heavens, not from the human, natural nature. There's a much bigger context to the story, But in essence, who do men say that the Lord is? And will they say that from their natural, carnal, human observation, or will they say that from spiritual revelation? That is, in partnership with the heavens, in partnership with God himself. On the one hand... Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say I am? That's an issue of revelation. Who do you say I am? And of course they say, maybe you're Jeremiah, maybe you are Elijah, maybe you're even John the Baptist or, you know, one of the prophets. Basically, Jesus asks the question, who do men say I am? In other words, what revelation do you have of me? And Peter says, Jesus... You're not a common prophet. You are actually the Son of God. You are the Son of God. Peter has this epiphany. And I want you to notice something very interesting in verse 17. Jesus gives us an interpretation as to how Peter got this epiphany. And it says there, of course, Jesus is complimenting him. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in the heavens. So we have here a situation. I'm still just talking about the one part of this chapter. There is uh, a question in front of the audience. Who do you say that I am? And folk are answering according to their natural observation, their natural intellect, their natural talent and prejudice and bias. And they say, oh, maybe you are Elijah because we see you do works of power. Oh, maybe you're John the Baptist because we see that you're this radical revolutionary figure. You know, and they're giving an answer according to their natural observation. Is everybody with me? according to their carnality, according to their physical, maybe even according to just their imagination. Oh, maybe you're one of the prophets. Is everybody with me? Peter has this aha moment. No, you're not just one of the prophets. You're actually the son of God. And then Jesus says to him, Good job, Peter. And here comes the, the crux of the matter. He says, Peter, What you just said, that I'm the Son of God, you did not say this out of your natural resources. You didn't say this because you studied this. You didn't say this because you observed something. You said this because Almighty God touched down into your being and enlightened you. In other words, you spoke from a spiritual knowledge. You spoke from a spiritual revelation. Is everybody with me? Do you see what's going on? Okay. Then, of course, Jesus blesses Peter and he makes a couple of power statements, some of the most amazing statements you find there in verses 18 and verses 19. Then look at verse 20. Jesus charges the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ kind of interesting. Don't go, guys, and go try to persuade people that I am the Son of God. The same way, Peter, that you had an encounter with God. The Spirit of God enlightened you. I'm going to let the Spirit of God enlighten people. Don't use your natural flesh to try to persuade people. Oh, we, we, we found Jesus. We found Jesus. We found Jesus. What God did for Peter becomes a pattern. That is going to have to do for everybody. We don't believe in Jesus because it, it, it just maybe it seems better than Buddha. We don't believe in Jesus because maybe you know he's got like better principles. Or we believe Jesus is the Son of God. How? By revelation. By an encounter with the Spirit. Is everybody with me? Okay. So that's also how you guys should become servants of God. You are not a servant of God because. Christianity is our culture. You're not a servant of God because people say, hey, this is the best option of the four we've got. (laughs) We are servants of God because at one time or another, light from heaven shone into your being, right? Mm -hmm. You had spiritual impartation. And by the Spirit of God, you saw that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lord. And you said, amen, I believe that. You didn't say Jesus is Lord because you learned it or you're reciting it from memory, or it's the right thing to do, you're saying Jesus is Lord because of the Spirit of God. This is the big point being made here. Okay, so Jesus says, you know, don't go just tell people. Let them have an encounter with my Father, so to speak. And of course, this is also true. Don't go tell people so that, you know, a movement don't start or... They find out where Jesus is to maybe crucify Him prematurely. And, you know, all of that is valid. But something interesting happens now, the second part of Matthew 16. The first part is an issue of revelation. And the guts of the matter is that uh, Jesus Christ, you don't study Him. He's revealed to you. Is everybody with me? Now the second portion. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus now is revealed to be the Son of God. Now, from that time of this revelation, He began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, those are the leaders of Judaism, and from the chief priests, They are the servants in the temple and from the scribes. These are the copyists of the the word of God. And he must be killed and on the third day raised from the dead. So Jesus, he comes, how do you say, clean with the disciples? He said, okay, guys, I'm the son of God. And my father has a mission for me. And this mission is to die. And he just lays it all out on the table. My purpose is to be killed by my very own people. And so he's giving, listen, further revelation, deeper revelation as to his purpose and his mission. Peter. Already has revelation that he's the son of God. So based on that revelation. Jesus now gives him more. And he reveals more. Because the Bible says to him who has. More will be. Given. Matthew 13. To him who does not have. Even what he has will be taken away. So Peter. You have vision. God's talked to you. So let me. Let you in on a secret. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be resurrected. At that moment, Peter should have said, Amen! But notice Peter's response. Verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside and he began to... Rebuke him, my Bible says. What does your Bible say? Peter took him aside and? Rebuke him, somebody else? Reprimand? Okay, God just gave you further revelation. Peter, God just gave you more interpretation. God gave you understanding. God gave you more illumination. And guess what Peter does? He takes Jesus aside for a parent-teacher conference where Peter is now the teacher, so to speak. And he sits Jesus down and he says, Jesus, let me have a little word with you. And he reprimands him. That is, he rebukes him. Those are strong English words. In other words, he resists the revelation he just received. The deeper revelation, the further revelation. When God finally came clean with Peter and, and the gang, and said, hey, my mission really is to die. This this is what's going to happen. When Peter hears the deeper revelation and discovers this is an issue now of death, something rises up within Peter, and he resists that deeper revelation. He loved the initial revelation that Jesus be the Son of God. He's kind of like a king. He's like a Lord, and he's worthy of worship. And Peter probably thought to himself, Yay, we can start a movement and overthrow Caesar and make Jesus the new Caesar. Hail to the king! Hail to the king! And he loved that revelation of good, of power, of, of sovereignty, of overcoming, and of a victorious life. And he loved that vision. This is amazing! You're the son of God! And Jesus like, like, a boy! And he... Praises Peter. Now, God gets down to bedrock and He reveals crucifixion. And this is where the average Christian checks out. And this is where you guys check out. You love it when God prophesies of future, of hope, of victory, of kingship, of overcoming, of prosperity, of healing, of blessing of influence and leadership and don't we love those verses don't we love that thought and it's even a God thought to have a future and a hope and beauty and Peter was on the bandwagon and he's loving this all of a sudden God now has gained Peter Peter just confessed Jesus as the Son of God now God says hey uh, let me let you in on a deeper revelation Jesus is King, He is Lord, He's the Son of God, He's divine. But I want to tell you how divinity has purpose in this earth, and it is to die, to be crucified. Peter takes him aside, uh uh-uh, uh, can't have this. And that's what you and I do. We get gloriously saved. We say, Jesus, you are the Son of God on these mountaintop experiences, even here at our school. People fall in love with God. They fall in love with the kingship of God and the victory over Satan. And then God comes to, yeah, the depths of your being. He says, hey, I want to talk to you about crucifixion. And oh, by the way, there's going to be resurrection also. Notice Jesus didn't just talk about the negative. He said, I'm going to also be raised on the third day. And this is where you and I also take Jesus' aside. we say, uh-uh, not so fast. And inadvertently, most of the time, you and I are in the position of reprimanding God. Can you believe this? Talk to me about victory, Jesus. Don't talk to me about dying. Talk to me, Lord, about the kingship and glory. I don't want to hear about the cross. So, Peter takes him aside, and he rebukes him. And he says here, God be merciful to you, Lord. And then look at verse 22 towards the latter end. Peter says, this thing, this thing of crucifixion, this, shall by no means happen to you. This is the strength of Peter's natural man rising up. When God talks about crucifixion, Peter rises up and says, no, 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 no. And he says, this thing shall not happen to you. Why? Because Peter is seeing according to his natural man. He's understanding with his natural man. He's understanding that crucifixion is not good. And if Jesus dies, that stops our movement. That that stops our whole victorious parade. We can't have this. Look at verse 23. It says that Jesus turned to Peter... And he said to him, Get behind me, Peter. Oh, sorry. I put on my glasses. What does it say? Get behind me? But there was no manifestation of weird and ugly and contortion and vomiting and foaming and screeching and howling. You all with me? Yet Satan was incarnated into Peter's flesh at that very moment. Why? Because he was opposing the way of God, the purposes of God. Is that not what Satan does? We call him the opposer, the adversary, the antagonist. To whatever God does left, Satan wants to go right. If God goes up, Satan goes low. There's nothing scary here. There's just a man that wants to protect Jesus. This is even a good thing. You've just got to protect... We can't let our leader be crucified. And Jesus said in that very moment, when Peter was acting out of his natural, out of his mind, out of his resources, out of his own concern, maybe his own compassion, because he even said, you know, let God be merciful to you. Uh, May God not allow this. Like, he's acting out of his own care. Here's the point we're going to make. is that whenever... You act out of self. And whatever that motive is, it could not only just be your acting. It is Satan resisting through you. So yeah, here is a man who's already for God. He's now Peter. He confessed God. He has revelation of God. And he said in a way yes to God. Now God reveals to him, What's ahead, the the process, the lifestyle that's about to happen. So yeah, it's really interesting. Whenever something in me opposes God, it might as well be Satan. So I'm not going to make big or dwell on that and we're possessed and cast Satan out. Anything in us basically that resists God is of Satan. That's the strong point. And you'll see the way we live the Christian life. Many of us... In our heart, maybe, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but in our mind, we resist God. In our emotion, I resist God. In my obedience, I resist God. In my IQ, or or how things should go, I resist God. And and this is how many of us live. We we live diametrically opposed to God. This is a carnal person you'll see in a minute, a natural person. Look here, Um, look what Jesus says. He says, in verse 23, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. And this is the carnal Christian life. When God's purpose, that at times includes crucifixion. And God still wants to crucify people. I don't know how to say that, but God wants you still to come to the end of yourself, not just theoretically, but actually. And he's about to speak about you taking up your cross. And so Peter is stumbling the way of God. Peter is putting a blockade in the the process of God. And this is the thing that I am wanting to get through to you guys, is that It's not enough to come to a church service or a book or a ministry or a gathering what we have and have a great revelation. Jesus is the son of God. We're also wanting to let you in on the process of God. And the process of God involves crucifixion. And what is God wanting to crucify? He is wanting to bring to an end your natural inclination. Your natural talent, your natural mind and IQ and the things of God. Here, Peter is just in the natural speaking a word of protection, but it was opposed to God. Can you all follow with me? So what is crucifixion? Crucifixion is not getting on a tree, being nailed and bleeding. Crucifixion is giving up your natural person in the things of God, your natural mind. Because your natural man is a blockade for the purposes of God. So that's why people, they leave sometimes our ministry or they leave that church. And they, they love God and they believe Jesus is the Son of God. But when God begins to facilitate the end of their natural man so that the spiritual man can reign, that moment they block God. For instance, and I'm going to use examples from my own life. When I met the Lord, instantly the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Stop drinking alcohol today. For instance, He didn't give me an explanation. He didn't tell me nothing. He just, uh, that's a king by the way, He's allowed to make a decree without an explanation. He has that privilege. What was God doing? He was facilitating a death for my natural man to go probably the way of addiction, probably the way of my ancestors, because my father was a drunkard. So the Spirit of God began a process in me to die to that today. And all I did is said, Amen, Lord. And I was also mocked for it, just like you will be if the Lord were to tell you, for instance, that. But now I see so many Christians. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. And God is wanting to begin to facilitate the crucifixion of certain things in your life. To bring you into a spiritual life of of, of authority. Where you're not an addict to things, you rule over things. But to get to that place of the kingship where you are exalted and you're enthroned and, and you're honored, you have to die. You get what I'm saying? That's just the process of God. Death comes before resurrection. And all of us, we want the resurrection power, but we don't want to go through the crucifixion. And so we block God. And I I meet so many people. I know God is speaking to them, but they will not today cold turkey stop. They just won't. Then they get all clobbered, derailed. They're on their way to heaven, no doubt. They still have revelation. Jesus is God. But the lordship of God, they cannot experience because they block God constantly. And they wonder, why don't I have spiritual influence? Why don't I bear fruit? Why don't I live the overcoming life? Because you are a blockage to God. You resist God. You want to stay in the natural, think the natural, feel the natural, pamper the natural. So he says here, you block me. This is where uh, uh, Paul would say uh, in Thessalonians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews it says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. This is blocking the Holy Spirit. Hardening your heart. Maybe for another day, God. Maybe this is not for me. But what if? Lord, why? Please We block God. Then notice here also in verse 23. Jesus says, Peter... You know, you're stumbling me, you block me, and you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of men. Read it in your Bible. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're not God-word in your thinking. You're setting your mind completely on the things of men. And this is satanic. So let me let me explain this whole thing. You guys think the satanic is this hideous monstrosity? And we've got a pentagram and candles and incense and chicken bones and we're sacrificing some bride to Satan. Now we're Satanists. No! In this context, and if we, we just have to like be intellectually honest, Jesus called Peter Satan. And yet there was no manifestation of nasty, satanic things. It was just a man that thought according to the natural. Isn't that interesting? Here's just a man that's looking out for Jesus' best interest. A man that even has compassion and protection to some extent. And here's just a man that wants to do the right thing. Because crucifixion is a hideous thing. And dying is a bad thing. and Peter knows that. They've seen people crucified like, Lord, this cannot happen to you. And I see Christians, they want to go on with God. But they will not take the process of God, which is crucifixion. The process of God to bring you to the end of your natural tendency, your natural strength, so notice Jesus says in verse 24, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We are not talking about uh, making a whip and, and whipping yourself and suffering. We're, we're not talking about getting uh, uh, lifted up on, on a pole and be crucified. No, 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 no. Crucifixion is to give up your will for the Lord's will. Crucifixion is to give up your paradigm for the Lord's paradigm. Crucifixion is to give up your thought, your feeling, your preference for the Lord. That is the real crucifixion. Anybody can hang on a tree and and put up a nice show of suffering, but just give up your will? That's the real crucifixion. It's when God says, I want to go left, but your will says, no, I'm going right. And right there you miss living the spirit life and you remain in the carnal life. So Jesus has an invitation here. And um, the invitation is not reformation or improve. The invitation is extinction. Die. Die to what? Die to the blockage of God. Die to the natural mind the way he thinks. (sighs) For whoever wants to save his soul life shall lose it. And whoever loses his soul life for my sake shall find it. So I see us modern Christians, we want to have God plus my soul life, my self life, my natural life. And in God's economy... This cannot happen. In God's economy, it's only the Christ life, the Spirit life. It's not God plus my natural talent and natural imagination and IQ and paradigm and education. It's just God. In a spiritual life, all that is is just God. Is everybody with me? Just God. What profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world? And yet, forfeits his own soul life. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So this invitation to crucifixion here, taking up your cross, denying yourself, it's really not an issue of suffering as it has been made out to be over the past 2,000 years. Go live in the desert, don't have a bed, sleep on thorns, castrate yourself, put a chastity belt on, whip yourself Don't eat, get all emaciated. People think, oh, I'm dying, I'm being crucified. No. No, 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 no. We are not ascetic. We're not masochistic. We don't do these things. We just live our life. And when the Spirit of God says, stop this or do this, go here or don't, yes, Lord. I don't understand, but I've got the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit will reveal to me in due time. But what happens is you and I want Christ only insofar as he's a ticket to heaven, but we don't want Christ to be our life. And that's the crux of the gospel. It's not only that we're going to heaven, but that heaven has come down into us to live here now. There's a marvelous word in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, um, that draws a distinction between the things of men and, again, the things of God, in a way between the natural man and the the spiritual man. In Luke 16, Jesus yet again has a confrontation with the Pharisees. In verse 14, um, it says that they were the lovers of money. And when they heard the things that the Lord spoke about money, Uh, They sneered at him because, yeah, he was challenging them. And um, Jesus just did not fit their box, their mold, their view, their perspective in a way, their tradition. And the Lord speaks to them in verse 15. He says to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. In other words, the things that the Pharisees did was according to the natural. And they defended that natural view, natural practice, let's say their natural tradition. So they lived a life by self-rightness. We call that self-righteousness. This is the Lord's Word. You justify yourselves. And in a way, that's what Peter did. He had a self-justification for protecting Jesus and preventing the Lord from crucifixion. And, of course, Peter was thinking according to the box, according to just his paradigm, uh, as much as the Pharisees are thinking according to their box, their paradigm. So the Lord says, You justify yourselves among men, but God knows your hearts. God knows the inward condition. God knows the inward motivation. God knows the inward reality of who you really are. You really don't care for the things of God. You care for the things of self. And then the Lord says this word that to this day for me is a strong rebuking word. He says, that which is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That which the natural man upholds and exalts and protects and honors, that which the natural man clings to and builds a life and a tradition and a box and a culture around, all of that is an abomination to God. And that word abomination, in the biblical text, there is no stronger word. It's actually our English word for abhorrent, detestable. And the Lord says the things of man are actually detestable in the eyes of God. My only question for you is, are you pursuing the spiritual life or are you ongoingly clinging to your natural carnal life?